when all is said and done, will Christians be judged by God? When all is said and done, will Christians be judged by God? Ever ask yourself that question? Will Christians be judged? It's a good question. It's a great question. It's an important question. When we bring that question to the scriptures, to what God himself has revealed, the answer's not obvious at first. Let me give you an example. Take, for example, the words of Jesus in John 5, 24. You'll see them there on the screen. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Now, in light of that verse, it would seem like the answer to our question is no. Christians will not be judged by God. But listen to the words of the Apostle Paul, first in Romans 14, verses 10 through 12. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Paul writes to the disciples of Jesus in Rome. This, this, this Christian church. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord. This is from the prophet Isaiah, the Old Testament. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, says Paul, Each of us will give an account of himself to God. Then again, take a look at 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Who is that written to? It's written to Christians. Christians in Corinth. So from these verses, if we were to look at these verses, it would seem that the answer to our initial question is, yes, Christians will be judged by God. Now wait, wait a minute. What, which is it? Christians, no, Christians will not be judged by God. Or yes, Christians will be judged by God. Let's see if we can sort out this apparent contradiction by looking together at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. That's where we'll be this morning, 1 Corinthians 3. As most of you know, this chapter is from our Bible reading plan from last week. I think it was Thursday's reading, chapter 3. Now, if you were following that schedule, you would have read the first four chapters uh, from 1 Corinthians So that will help you with a little bit of the context here as we're looking at this passage together. Keep those chapters in mind as we are looking at what the Apostle Paul writes. He wrote 2,000 years ago what he's writing here to Christians in the city of Corinth. Corinth was in southern Greece. If you can picture where Athens is in your head, it's not too far south, but it's on the kind of part that sticks out like a isthmus or or whatever at the bottom of greece that's where corinth was this is what he writes look at verse 10 of chapter 3 according to the grace of god given to me says paul like a skilled master builder 
I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. It will be obvious. It will be evident. Why? For the day, capital D, the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built upon the foundation survives, he or she will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he or she will suffer loss. Though he or she They themselves will be saved, but only as through fire. Let's stop there. One of the first questions we might ask about a passage like this, it would be important to ask is, who is Paul addressing with these words? Right? Who is his audience? Who is he talking about when he's writing uh, verses 10 through 15? Well, I think we could say, first of all, number one, this is God's word to fellow workers. God's word to fellow workers. When we pull in the context here, that's what we want to do if we really want to understand the Bible. We don't just take verses out of context, right? Just like no one likes their own words to be taken out of context and used against them. We don't want to take God's words out of context. So we look at what he said here through these human authors like Paul. And we discover in the context that Paul has been talking about both himself and a brother named Apollos. Paul and Apollos. If you look back to verse 3 of this same chapter, you'll notice that Paul is admonishing. Right? He's admonishing this church for the jealousy and strife among you, he says in that verse. How was it evident that there was jealousy and strife among them? Because some were saying, look at verse 4. Some were saying, I follow Paul. And another, I follow Apollos. So there were factions growing in this church, weren't there? There were factions built around personalities. Ever been in a church like that? Factions built around teachers, preachers, Sunday school leaders, you know, whoever it might be, pastors on staff. There were groups that kind of said, well, I like when such and such preaches this Sunday or, oh, I, I don't know about that leader. They're a little off base or we can't let this person share because they're they're they begin to kind of build this little fiefdom this little you know following around different leaders within the church because for whatever reason they prefer that person's teaching style or they that person helped them at a a important time or they just don't understand or somebody had to be um had to be stern with them at some point when they were strained or being difficult within the church someone had to call them out on that and they don't like that person from this point out and so they've caricatured them they put them in a box and said no 
I don't, I don't like that person. That one's, he's too old or he's too young or he's too whatever. We know this happened in the first century church, don't we? What did Paul tell Timothy about his age? Don't let anyone look down on you, he said in first Timothy four, because of your age. But instead set an example for the believers, how you live your life for Christ. Let that be an example to them. That will be powerful in your ministry to them. So we know things like this were happening. It was happening clearly here in Corinth that people were building these factions around personalities. Look at how Paul then goes on to tackle this problem in verses 5 through 9 of chapter 3. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants. That's who they are. They're servants through whom you believed As the Lord assigned to each. Keep that in mind. Paul says, goes on and says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. See the repetition there? emphasizing that point he who plants and he who waters in fact says paul are one and each one will receive his wages according to his labor for we apollos and paul are god's fellow workers you are god's field you are god's building now if you're interested in the specifics of these men and their ministry in Corinth, take a look later at Acts 18. Some of this this division here in the church at Corinth may have been due to the stylistic differences between the two men. We know from the book of Acts that Apollos was a Hellenistic Jew. That means his first language was Greek. It means he was Greek cultured, right? That's how he grew up. Uh, his, his culture, uh, was both Jewish and Greek. It says in Acts chapter 18 verse 24 that he was an eloquent man. He was the kind of speaker that when he spoke, he captured your attention. You wanted to listen to him, right? He had that kind of charisma. He was an eloquent man. Paul, on the other hand, was described this way in a second letter to this same church in Corinth. He was described this way in 2 Corinthians 10.10. For they say, Paul writes, they say about me, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. Paul was not an impressive guy when you saw him in person. He was not impressive necessarily in the way that he spoke. I think he spoke clearly. I think he spoke well. I I think he was an excellent teacher. But especially in the Greek world, he may not have been what they were used to. And I don't think he's ever described as being eloquent (laughs) anywhere in the New Testament. Apollos was. But as you can see in verses 5 through 9, again, we're working with the context here, aren't we? Verses 5 through 9, Paul wants his readers to understand that exalting human leaders misunderstands what had happened and what was happening among them as a church. They were missing it. 
When they were exalting pastors and elders, right? Certain leaders. When they were exalting them and building factions around them, they were missing what was actually happening. Paul and Apollos are simply fellow workers in God's work of establishing and building up the church. They're on the same team. They fulfill, just have different roles in what they're doing. But they're doing the same work. They're used in the same way. God is the only one who should be exalted in this church because verse 7, it is God who gives the growth. God has assigned these men. God has brought them to the church. God is speaking through them. He is the one that makes anything happen that has happened in Corinth. Our God is the one who makes anything happen if it is happening at way of grace. He's the one that we exalt. He's the one that we lift up and glorify. And he gives this growth through these workers, a variety of workers. Yeah, some plant, some water, but they're all on the same team. And in most cases, when there is criticism of such workers and their work, ministers and their ministry, we need to remember that it is God who will ultimately judge his workers. He reserves that right. Didn't we just hear about that judgment in our main text, verses 10 through 15? That day is coming as Paul reassures them. But listen to how Paul goes on to address their critical spirit. Remember, when we're talking about, uh, we're talking about the judgment that God reserves for his leaders, we are not talking about matters of doctrine or moral fitness. First Timothy chapter five gives us guidance for when an accusation is brought before elders about an elder there is a there is a time where a a man must be judged within the church because he has strayed from what is healthy teaching based on god's word or he has morally disqualified himself based on the requirements for leaders in the bible and in those cases the plurality of elders, the council of elders must come together to be able to address that man, not in a punitive way, but to address the sin and hopefully call that brother to repentance and ultimately restoration within the church. Maybe not to the office, but restoration to fellowship with the body. That's not what we're talking about here. These aren't the issues that we're talking about in terms of uh, of stylistic differences, differences in responsibilities within the church, any other thing that somebody might build a faction and a cult of personality around a certain leader to say, ah, this is our man. This is our guy. I hope he's preaching on Sunday. I hope he's leading this class. I'll go to anything he's doing. Oh, that guy, poo-poo, uh, you know, right? I'm not, even, I'm not praying for him. I hope he leaves. No, 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 no. God will judge each of his workers. So listen to what Paul says. He goes on to emphasize this in the next chapter. Flip your page or look over to the opposite page. Chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. Paul says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. Right? If these guys in Corinth are imagining Paul sitting wherever he's writing this going, (laughs) they don't love me in Corinth. (laughs) Paul's like, no, 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 no. 
I'm not really concerned about that. You're not hurting my feelings because you're judging my ministry. He says, it's, it's, not a, it's a very small thing to me. In fact, he says, I do not even judge myself. Oh, if that were a more common sentiment today. Among God's people and outside the church. I don't even judge myself. It seems like all we're doing today is judging ourselves and then patting ourselves on the back. I am special. I am good. I can do whatever I want. If it feels good, it's fine. Judge myself. Judge my, you know, hey, I'm good. I'm okay. No one else can judge me. No one else can say anything critical to me. No one else can correct me. No one else is wiser than I am. Does that sound healthy to you? It's not. Inside and outside the church. Paul says this, I do not even judge myself. I am not aware of anything against myself, writes Paul in chapter 4, verse 4. But I am not thereby acquitted. Paul would have watched his own heart and said, I want to make sure that I'm keeping check. And I am making judgments about what I'm doing. Paul, don't do that, man. Don't give into that desire. Don't retaliate in that way. Checking himself before he's wrecking himself, right? He wants to do that. But he says, I don't see anything like that that I need to check right now. But that does not mean I am acquitted. That does not mean I am innocent. Why? Because it is the Lord who judges me. I leave that judgment with him ultimately. Therefore, Paul says, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the hearts. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Now, we were just asking, what were we asking? We were asking, who is Paul writing these words to in verses 10 through 15? Well, fellow workers like Apollos and Paul, right? Seems pretty clear. A lot of scrutiny of their ministry. Uh, Paul reminds them that the Lord judges him. There's going to be a day when uh, his work will be assessed. There's a day when there will be a, 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 a standing before God. But notice this. I think it's also important to see that our main passage is also, number two, God's word to every worker. God's word to every worker. Look back, if you would, to verse 10 of chapter 3. Now, take special note of the last phrase in that verse. It says this, According to the grace of God given to me, says Paul, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. You see what Paul's doing there? He's stepping back and he's looking at everybody and saying, let everyone, let each one take care how he builds upon it. Paul absolutely wanted them to understand that God will judge the work of apostles and other church leaders. And because that's true, all believers need to be very, very careful about criticisms directed at these leaders. Criticisms not related to sound doctrine and moral fitness. But remember what we saw in verses 3 and 4 of this chapter. Paul was admonishing the church for what? For jealousy and strife among them. Again, this was evident from the cliques or the factions that were forming in the church at Corinth. 
In fact, these kinds of divisions were so concerning to Paul that he makes this issue the very first thing he addresses in the letter. The very first thing at the beginning of the letter. Take a look at chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. After his opening greeting and encouragement to them, this is the first thing out of the gate that he says to them. It's been reported to me by Chloe's people. Go Chloe. Yeah, her and her people. (laughs) They've somehow connected with Paul again and they're sharing a report. Hey, we just came from Corinth, Paul. Ooh, Yeah, there's some good things, but listen to this. This is what's happening. It's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. Right? There's, there's division. They're fighting with one another in this church. There's quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul. Well, I follow Apollos. Or, well, I follow Cephas. Cephas is Peter, the apostle Peter. And others, I follow Christ. Now, before you say, oh, I'd be with that last group. Pastor, I want you to know I'd be with that last group. <laughs> right? Because uh, they, they're following Christ. But please remember, Paul is admonishing everyone here. All of these groups. He's admonishing every single one of them. Of course we should follow Christ, but we should never do so with a partisan or factional attitude. We should never follow Christ in a way that draws unnecessary lines and tempts us to a sinful sense of superiority among the people of God. Amen? We should say, I follow Christ by God's grace. Amen. But we shouldn't say, well, I follow Christ. (laughs) Hmm. I don't know what you're doing over there, but I'm following Jesus. And they'll put the extra emphasis on Jesus. Jesus. Right, kind of draw it out in the middle. Jesus, they'll do that. No, 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 we're not doing that. So how is their jealousy, their strife, their quarreling, their factionalism in this church, how is all of that related to our main text? Chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. We'll just remember verse 10. What was the exhortation that Paul gave there? He said, let each one take care how he builds upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. When Paul writes each one in that verse, I believe he's talking about leader and non-leader alike. Why is that? Because every Christian in one way or another ends up building into the church. We end up building into the church. If you are a genuine believer, the question is not whether you are building, it's whether you are building up or you are building poorly. Are you building up or are you building poorly? That This is exactly why we must also consider number three, God's word about this work. Let's get into the specifics Of this word from God. What is Paul saying specifically to both leaders and non-leaders in this church or in the church? Well, he's reminding us that some are building others up like a craftsman who uses valuable and durable materials. If you commission something and pay good money for something, 
you want it to be made well, don't you? <laughs> you want someone to use the best materials, something that's going to last a long time. Not something that just came off the boat ride that goes to the Dollar Tree or whatever. It's, it's going to break within six months. Like, you know, you got to do the cost analysis in your head. You're like, I could buy one of these for this much, or I could buy 16 of these over the span of two years. Hmm, what should I do? I'll buy the 16, right? <laughs> and maybe hope it lasts longer. No, you want something built with valuable and durable materials like Paul is describing here. They're the kind listed in the first part of verse 12 or the list given. Gold, silver, and precious stones. Gold, silver, precious stones. But Paul is also saying there are others in the church who are not building up. They think they're building up, but instead they are building poorly, like someone who is using flimsy materials, things that simply will not last. Wood, that's probably the best on the list. Then it goes down from there. Hay, sorry Steve, straw, <laughs> right? Wood, hay, and straw. Do you really want a, a building built out of that? Those three things? Wood, hay, and straw. How will the difference between these materials be evident? Look at verse 13 again. Each one's work will become manifest for the day. What day is that? The day of judgment. The day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test. It's a testing fire, isn't it? It will test what sort of work each one has done. And what will be the result of this testing, this judgment? Well, according to verse 14, there will be reward for that which was built to last. Isn't that good? There's reward for that which was built to last. But for those building with cheap and flimsy materials... That work will be, verse 15, burned up. And he or she will suffer loss. This is not usually how our depictions of Christians in the afterlife goes, is it? But brothers and sisters, it is so important we hear this, that we understand this. That work will be burned up and he or she will suffer loss. Think about it. How many of our church efforts, how many of our so-called ministry accomplishments, how many items on our resumes of faithfulness and service will instead on that day be labeled as loss because of how we built. They will fall away. They will fade away. They will be burned up. You see, Paul wanted to sober these Christians. He wanted them to stop and say, what am I doing to look at what they're doing, what they're building with. To take inventory. To assess before the great assessment on that day. Please don't miss though. Please don't miss how Paul qualifies that statement in verse 15. If anyone's work is burned up, that's the building poorly, right? He will suffer loss though he himself Though she herself will be saved, but only as through fire. Oh, now wait a minute. He himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you see how that clarifies for us the apparent contradiction that we started out with this morning? Will Christians be judged? No. Yes. Which is it? 
This helps us to clarify, doesn't it? You see, a genuine Christian will not be judged as a sinner against God so that he or she would receive condemnation. Amen? Christ suffered and died on the cross to free us from that very fate. Amen? But a genuine Christian will be judged as a servant of God so that he or she might receive commendation. You see that 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 antithesis there, that contrast? We're not going to be judged as sinners against God. Christ bore that punishment for us because of his great love for us. But we will be judged as servants of God, made, made so by Jesus. Made, through, made so by the grace of God. We don't receive co- condemnation, but we do, will receive commendation. I love chapter 4, verse 5 of 1 Corinthians. I just read it to you a few minutes ago. I love that because there's no uncertainty with Paul who says, for each one will, not each one might. Not each one might. Each one will receive his commendation from God. Every Christian will receive his commendation from God. Remember, when all is said and done, no true disciple of Jesus will face a judgment leading to death. We've passed from death into life, haven't we? But instead, he will hear, she will hear on that day, well done, good and faithful servants. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Isn't that wonderful? Do those words stir your heart? I remember being a high schooler at a camp in San Diego, a summer camp. And the speaker at, um, at, um, at uh, Point Loma Nazarene College, the speaker who was there in that building was preaching on this text. And when I heard that, My heart just overflowed. I don't know what it was exactly, but I heard that and part of me said, I want want to hear that. There was a deep longing inside of me that said, I want to hear that from Jesus. Paul describes that, I think in Romans 8, when he talks about the testimony of the Spirit. And the testimony of the Spirit testifies inside of us that we are children of God, right? We cry out, Abba, Father. We cry out to God, Papa. We're brought into that beautiful intimacy with God because of His Son who cried out, Abba, Father, let this cup pass from me, but not my will be done. Your will be done. Because of the Son, we can be sons and daughters, right? And so I think that testimony of the Spirit was what used that verse in my uh, high school age heart to say, Bryce, work for, work in light of that, right? For Jesus. Strive for Jesus. Serve Jesus. Because one day, commendation. Do you think that's what he means when he talks about he'll receive a reward? Because I'll tell you what, brothers and sisters, I don't need any reward except that word. I don't need any other reward except to hear my master say to me, 
well done. Just as Paul hoped to do with the Corinthian Christians in this passage, God wants us to stop this morning and think carefully, each of you, individually, personally, about that final assessment, that final accounting in the presence of the Father and the Son. This is not a game. Christian life is not a game. You will stand before Him. You will give an accounting. Everything will be made known. On that day, God will disclose the purposes of every heart, as He said in chapter 4. Does the reality of that day sober you? It should. It should. It really should. It should drive every single one of us to ask, in light of our passage this morning, how am I building? And of course, this is just one aspect in this passage about building up in the church or building poorly in the church. We can look at Romans 14 again and look at how we're treating brothers and sisters. We saw in 1 Corinthians 8 yesterday in our partnership class, we talked about the fact that those there were brothers and sisters who were not walking around flaunting their freedoms and their rights in the church. In fact, they were saying, I know my brother and sister is wrong about food sacrifice to idols, but if I never eat meat again, I don't care. What I care about is my brother or sister's faith. That's what's most important to me. That's what matters for eternity, not my rights. Wow. Wow. You see, that will be one of the things that we'll give an account to before God. That's what we see right here. We should be asking, how am I building? In light of 1 Corinthians 3.10, am I taking care? That is, am I being careful how I build upon the foundation of Jesus among the people of God, the foundation here at Way of Grace, which is Jesus Christ. We should also be asking, before the day, capital D discloses it, how can I know? How can I know whether I'm building up or building poorly? That would be a good question to ask, right? You do want to know if you're building up or building poorly. How do you do that? How can I know what materials I'm using? Well, look at Paul's warning in 3.18. Drop down, 3.18. He says, let no one deceive himself. Again, a confirmation that he's talking to everyone in the church here. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool. That's a fool for Christ, accepting the foolishness of the gospel. That he may become wise, truly wise, in terms of God's wisdom. Why is this warning here in this section? Because the factions, the cliques within the church that were hurting the church were, were a result of people building poorly in the church with worldly wisdom. That's what they were bringing to the church to build the church up. But in fact, they were just building, they were just building flimsy things within the church. Every generation has seen that very thing. Flimsy things existing within the church. Things that will be burned up in the end. You can walk around and point to cathedrals and you can point to mega churches and you can point to whatever goes right down to house church movements and things that they're doing building with flimsy materials. You can go to those things and in the end, they'll be burned up. And God will say, don't you point to that. 
Don't you point to that. Don't you stand on that. Don't you put that on your resume. Don't you stand before me and trumpet and boast in that. Because where is it now? It's been burned up. It was a flimsy material. How do we know? Well, we know in this church, these factions were a result of people building with worldly wisdom, not God's truth. And the result was jealousy. The result was strife. The result was quarreling within the church. How are you building in the church? Just think about the consequences of your work. What fruit is it bearing? Is it truly achieving God's ends? How you're building up in the church? Brothers and sisters, I don't believe our biggest concern in this faith family is a brother or sister pushing, peddling worldly wisdom in our midst, though that is something that we need to be on the lookout for and be vigilant about. No, I believe our biggest concern should be, our biggest temptation will be building with the flimsy materials of consumerism, superficiality, and standoffishness. Those three things. Consumerism, superficiality, and standoffishness. When you try to build the church around those tendencies, you suffer and the people of God suffer. When you come only to get, when you put up a front when you walk in, when you keep people at arm's length, you are in fact building. Every time you're building. That is You are shaping the church. You are shaping the church. And God's very loving reminder to you, His very loving reminder to you, His gracious reminder to you this morning is this, you will stand before me. You will give an account for how you've built upon this foundation. Or we could say how we've failed to build up. All the ways that we've failed to build up. The very thing that we're called to do. So if you recognize, brother, sister, that your action or inaction is in fact shaping the church in this way, or you've realized that in some other way you're using flimsy materials, simply talk to God this morning. That's why his word is declared to you that you would hear it and go, Father, your church is precious. What does he say in verses 16 and 17? Your church is precious. Your church is holy because your church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I've been treating it like it's some community organization, like a club or something. I've been treating it like it's a spiritual grocery store. I've been coming to get, 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 get. I've been coming with my walls up and my boundaries and saying, well, this is is all I want from this church. Thank you very much. And we want others to build into us, but we're not willing to build into them. We don't want others to put up walls and, and have guile with us, but we put up walls and hide ourselves from them. Now listen to me, I understand there are reasons we do this. And a lot lot of times those reasons are very painful. But my encouragement to you and God's call to you this morning is that you would 
trust him with those reasons and that you would take a step of faith and say, I need help with these reasons. I need to work through these reasons. I know what's keeping me. I know what's tripping me up. Or maybe I don't know, but I have a, I have a suspicion. I need someone to help me with those reasons. Others of us, it's just selfishness and worldliness. It's just stuck in our routine and stuck in our ruts. And we won't break out of it. Consumerism, superficiality, standoffishness. That's the way we like the church. We don't want anybody messing that up. Some of us, it will take time to grow beyond that. But action and inaction is shaping the church. And God is reminding you this morning that you will stand before him. May it be that every single one of us is eager to build up way of grace with that which is valuable and durable. Amen? That should be our heart's desire to build each other up regularly and in a variety of ways, in a variety of settings. It's not say, oh, I can't get, get up and encourage the church like Pastor Bryce. It's not your job. Can you call somebody on the phone? Can you send them a text? Can you send them an email? Can you grab coffee with them? Whoa. Yes, you can. You can. There's a whole, whole bunch of ways to be able to do these things. That we would build each other up in the truth and grace of Jesus. I can't think of more valuable and durable materials. The grace and truth of Jesus Christ. So ask God to help you grow in that way. Then ask a leader or a mature Christian here about practical ways that you can do that very thing. Whether we are seeking forgiveness for building poorly, and all of us are guilty, aren't we? All of us are guilty of building poorly. Whether we are seeking forgiveness for building poorly or wisdom, seeking wisdom for truly building up, our confidence is the same this morning. Look again at verse 11. That's our confidence, verse 11. That's our confidence. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Wow. Powerful, beautiful. And so I simply ask you this question. Is Jesus your foundation? Are you standing on Jesus? If he isn't, then I say this with all love for you this morning. If he is not, then there is a judgment coming. But it will be a judgment leading to condemnation forever. That sounds harsh, Pastor Bryce. It is. But God is so loving that he warns us in advance and says, I don't want you to go down that path. Man, I gave my son even for you not to go down that path. He suffered and died for you that you wouldn't go down that path, that you would not know that judgment, that you would not face that judgment leading to death, but pass from death into life, as Jesus said in John 4, chapter 5. Right? Is Jesus your foundation? He can be today if he's not. Through faith, trust him today. Talk to God in the quietness of your heart. Reach out in light of what he's showing you here. He can be. And if, he, if, he, if and when he is your foundation, then as another apostle wrote in 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, God is at work through his love 
in us and God is, his love is working through us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Don't you love that? On that day of judgment when everyone will stand before God, you can have confidence. I can have confidence. Why? Because the books will be opened. Lots of books. Those books will be opened. Each one will be given according to what he has done. But then another book was opened. The Lamb's Book of Life. And if anyone's name was not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life, he was cast into the lake of fire. Wow. This is our confidence in the day of judgment, isn't it? Jesus Christ is the only foundation laid. You are either standing on him or you're not. I urge you and I plead with you, stand on, on, on him. And I urge and encourage brothers and sisters in Christ, feel that solid ground under your feet. Look to Christ. It's that confidence of grace, that confidence that comes from his unwavering love, the, un, the confidence of unshakable hope. It's that confidence in Jesus that should inspire us for a judgment leading to commendation. That's what should motivate you because you stand on solid ground and because of great love for God and awe of God to praise God and worship God with love in your heart, with gratitude in your heart, you should say, I want to be pleasing to you and I want to build well. I want to build up on this foundation within the church. Will Christians be judged? No and yes. No and yes. So be comforted, but also be sobered. Rejoice deeply but also reflect carefully. And in all of it, give thanks for the foundation on which we stand. Amen?